Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. It's really good to be with you. As Andy said, I come occasionally on a Sunday, but I've met with uh, leaders and uh, elders at different times, often sitting alongside Guy Miller, who you know well, and uh, working with him as part of the family of commission. I look after uh, fewer churches now than I used to. I'm now handing some ministries over uh, to others where I can and where that's possible, not because I've given up, but it's good to give opportunity for others to come through. I think I've still got energy and wisdom, and uh, I might repeat myself a few times, but I'm well into my 70s now, so you've got to put up with that. That's the way it goes. Andy's mentioned some of the challenges you've been facing, and I just want to say well done to the people who are part of this church for your resilience and your faithfulness uh, through changes and challenges. That happens in church life. We wouldn't have most of the New Testament if there weren't problems in church life. We don't go looking for them. Uh, They just happen because we are frail. We are weak. And uh, in the next few weeks, I'm going to be interviewing five men and their wives for the men to be potential elders amongst you. I know the names have been mentioned to you. I'm going to interview them. And do you know what I'm going to discover? They're not perfect. But by God's grace, they can be equipped and qualified to serve you in eldership and leadership. So I'm not looking to disqualify them, but when I ask them questions, it'll be alongside the plumb line of God's Word and the New Testament teaching about eldership. And uh, in saying that, I want to commend Andy and also Stephen for their eldership uh, in a difficult season for trustees and other leaders as well and staff. I could go through it all. Because actually, it's the faithfulness of individuals that comes together that holds a church together. Hallelujah. And thank you so much for that. And uh, you will come through, and God will bless you in the future. My wife can't be with me, sadly. She has myeloma cancer, and I know some of you have prayed for her, and she has monthly treatment. Well, she had her treatment on Friday. Uh, a chemotherapy injection, and she has steroid tablets, which means she doesn't sleep on the Friday nights or the Saturday nights. So she would have been the first one to sleep during my sermon, and I can't have that. So uh, I asked her not to come. No, she actually didn't sleep last night either. She doesn't sleep, and when it first happened, I said to her, what do you do? She said, well, I was just thinking of jobs you can do, Malcolm. So that doesn't help me. And then later on, I asked her again after another bout of her not sleeping, what were you doing? She said, I was thinking of how to spend money. (laughs) Well, that means I don't sleep now. So there's lots and lots of troubles. I want to speak from Acts 2 this morning, your series about journey of a lifetime. And I want to speak about the amazing church and the amazing people of God the Spirit of God upon people and in his church. If you look at the end of the Gospels, then you move into the Acts, you will be amazed at the kind of the change that happens in these disciples. They were at one stage afraid. 
They were doubting. They were full of unbelief. Even the post-resurrection reports from uh, the two on the road to Emmaus or from Mary Magdalene, they were met with unbelief. And Jesus has to meet these disciples and rebuke them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe. And then amazingly, Jesus still commissions them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. If I was, someone said that now I'd retired from full-time work, I was serving the Lord in an advisory capacity. Well, I'm glad the Lord doesn't need my advice. But if I was advising the Lord, I would say this, don't send that lot. Don't commission them, whatever you do. And yet we see Jesus commissioning these doubting, kind of dithering disciples. And even more amazing, it says they go out and they preach and we get into the Acts and we see signs and wonders followed them. And people were added to the church. People were afraid of joining them, but many joined them. There was a great work. What a transformation. And wouldn't you like to see that in this church? Not that you're doubting and dithering, but actually that you move to a place of real authority and boldness and liberty in the Holy Spirit. Maybe some of you here, you are full of doubt and fear and even unbelief. The Holy Spirit, an experience of God, the Holy Spirit can move you to a place of boldness. What happened between those doubting times and those times of great faith and advance? Well, chronologically, Acts chapter 2 happened. The day of Pentecost, when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, the disciples moved out of weakness and into power to obey the commission of Jesus Christ. And we know you've already had this preached to you a couple of weeks ago. It says in chapter 1, verse 8 of Acts, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And in the same way, we as a church can leave whatever weakness we may feel. We always can feel weak, but we can step into the power of the Holy Spirit. I put it this way. Why live with less than what's on offer from God? That's what I feel. And often I do. I live with less than what's on offer. Not just from his word, but actually by his spirit as well, through fellowship. And sometimes we are paupers because we actually don't come and receive with thirst, with a desire to receive more of God. So let's read from Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read most of the chapter. I know it'll come up on the screen. I think that's in the ESV. I'm going to read from the NIV. But let's read this amazing uh, passage. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to read through to about verse 18. And then I'm going to read from verse 36 uh, on for a few more verses. So let's get involved in this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? What's going on? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. But Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Then I want to move on because then Peter goes on to point to Jesus. This kind of man of God, this Jesus was accredited to you through miracles and all sorts of signs. But you, you wicked people, you actually nailed him and put him to the cross. And then he says, even David, your forefather, acknowledges Jesus as Lord and points to his death and says, death won't hold him. The the tomb cannot hold him. And then in verse 36, let's read on for a few verses. Peter says this, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness for your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What an amazing day in the history of this world. What an amazing event, an amazing convocation. And it wasn't just amazing for the believers, 120 who were filled with the Spirit, whose lives were changed, who were kind of, in some way, they were kind of ignited by the power and presence and the fullness of 
the Holy Spirit. It was also exciting for those who were onlooking, those who looked and saw, and it inspired and provoked two questions from the unbelievers. And what are those two questions? Well, in verse 12, they're saying, what's going on here? What's happening? We're, we're seeing things. These people look drunk. That was the criticism. They're, they're kind of liberated. They're loose. You know, they're behaving in a drunken fashion. There is something kind of free about them. And then we're hearing praises to God in our own languages. And they ask the question, what's going on? What's going on here? And then later on, after Peter preaches, the next question comes from the unbelievers. What do we need to do about this? So what do we do now? Our danger is, you may have heard this before, we're trying to get the unsaved to ask the second question before they ask the first question. Sometimes we expect people to come in off the street and we, it does happen by God's sovereign grace and people come and say, I need to be saved. I need to know Jesus. That's wonderful. But sometimes people come and, and this is not a criticism of you at all, but sometimes they are not inspired by what they see when the people of God are gathered together. Ritual, right, rules, all sorts of regalia, programs don't make the difference. It's the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We want sometimes people to want what we have without first of all being amazed at what we are when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not that we need to put on a production or a show. It's just that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we gather together, God works in a measure that makes the church amazing. And it's not as if every Sunday or every meeting is going to be like Pentecost, but we'll get nowhere near it if we are not spirit-filled. If we're not willing to receive more, if we're happy to live with less than what is on offer from God. And Jesus said on the last day of the feast, he said, listen, if you're thirsty, come to me. I'll give you water that fills and overflows but if you'd have gone to Jesus then, he wouldn't have been able to pour out his spirit on you because he hadn't been glorified. And as that time, the spirit had not been given. But hallelujah, we live in these days when God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh. You can't get away from it. Old and young, men and women, the spirit can come upon you and you can be prophets whether you'll be a platform prophet or whether you'll be a prophet in speaking hope to people, encouragement, who knows? But these two questions came, what's going on? That was the first question. They didn't come and ask, first of all, oh, we must be saved, what do we need to do? No, they were, first of all, amazed. So how do we stimulate amazement to what we are individually and as a church? Well, the answer's not found in gimmicks. It's not found in fads or social media or social action. It's not found in us chasing after culture. It's found in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. When he is upon us and when he is in us 
and among us. We need to be like the Pentecost church. We need to go back to basics. I've just read Andrew Wilson's latest book, The Remaking of the World, an incredible book. Andrew Wilson's a good writer. If you get any of his books, you'd be encouraged by it. And he just gives a background to how we become kind of post-Christian. But he's still saying that we're very Christian in essence in our culture, in the West and uh, in, in prosperous states as well. He says, and some of these kind of Western countries are now pushing uh, Christianity away, saying we don't need it. But actually Christianity has become essential and fundamental to our beliefs and our way of life and our justice and our social care and so on. And at the end, his, his kind of conclusion is this. And I just read it last night and I thought, wow, this is good timing for me to preach this morning. He says, so in the light of all these changes that are happening in our culture, what does the church do? Do we chase after culture? Do we adapt? And he says, no, we need to go back to basics. We need to go back to basics. Now we need to move with the times. It's really good, I mean, although I've got a loud voice, you could probably hear me without the mic. It's good that we have, you know, media and all these things. We, we can use online opportunities. It's really good. We don't have kind of Luddites and stuck in the past. We don't have that. But actually, we must make sure in all of these changes and adaptations, we don't miss out on the basics. What are the basics? That we love God, we come to him through Jesus Christ, and we walk in discipleship filled with his Holy Spirit. Why live with less than what's on offer? We need to go back to basics. A guy called Billy Graham, who's probably one of the most outstanding evangelists uh, that's been seen in the world, in the 20th century especially, he was at a city crusade. And he kept saying this, and he did this. He used to preach and have his Bible. He said, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. And he used to preach like that. And one person said, Billy Graham is going to set evangelism back 50 years. And when Billy Graham heard it, he responded, oh, I didn't mean to do that. I don't want to set it back 50 years. I want to set it back 2,000 years. You see, our danger is we can think we can mature out of the things of the Spirit. We can mature out of needing the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what we have is just a, a wineskin that's getting old and there's no new wine in it. No new wine that comes. We need new wineskins, but we definitely need the new wine of the Spirit. There's two reasons to go back to basics. First of all, God hasn't changed. If he uses this method to birth his church publicly, we must take it seriously. This is not ordered and organized. This is something that God, where he pours his spirit out, it's like an amazing event. There is a looseness amongst these people. I know we need order in church, but God's order is very different from our English order. Hallelujah. We can be pleased about that. God has not changed. God still loves and seeks the lost. His grace and his mercy still abound. He still pours out his spirit on people who come to him and who are thirsty. The other thing why we need to go back to basics, 
People basically haven't changed. Even though we think, oh, there's more wickedness, and the Bible talks about increasing lawlessness, there has always been wickedness. Sometimes our danger is, as Christians, we have the news of all the bad things that go on, and we kind of think, oh, it's more wicked. These people can't be reached. That is just not true. The first family in creation, right? One brother murdered another one. That's pretty wicked. Isn't that true? The unbelieving crowd at Pentecost didn't contain an unusual number of nice people. Peter says to them, you, with the aid of wicked men, crucified Christ. And then he says later on, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Amazing statements to make. We mustn't believe that it's too hard now. Even their religion, Judaism, was a black hole of legalism, control, manipulation. London, listen, well, don't give up on London. Don't think it's out of reach. It's God can't do anything with your neighbors, with your friends. They're too wicked. No, there's always been wickedness. And whether they're not as wicked and nice, they still need to be saved and born again. There's a big step for them. Therefore, our methods and resources shouldn't change, basically. There shouldn't be shortcuts. If you look in Acts 1 and Acts 2, for God's blueprint for growing an amazing church, you see this. In Acts 1, they see the resurrected Jesus. There's convincing proofs of the resurrection. They believe Jesus is alive and he is Lord and Savior. Hallelujah. They also then have 40 days of Jesus teaching them about the kingdom. Wow. What a conference that would be to attend. You know, 40 days, imagine your notebook at the end of 40 days. It would just be pulsating, wouldn't it? With truth, your mind, your heart would be lifted. No better teacher on earth than Jesus for 40 days to teach you about the kingdom. Hallelujah. They also see the physical ascension of Jesus and the testimony of two people dressed in white. And they say, don't worry, he's gone but he's coming back. We have a hope of his return. The other thing I notice is that they stayed together. There was a sticking together. And that's really important to be church, to stick together. It's not the unforgivable sin to go and leave and go somewhere else. It happens, but actually it's brilliant when you stick in and you work together and you persevere through the ups and downs. They stayed together. And let me tell you, some of them weren't very good at staying. Peter wasn't a good stayer. Oh, I'm off fishing. Oh, where was Peter? He's off fishing. Right? He wasn't a great stayer, but here he stays and he prays. And then they're also praying together. And the disciples hadn't been great prayers. But now they're sticking together and they're praying together. These things are really good for foundational things and essential for a church. These people who weren't good at praying are now praying together. All these that I've just mentioned are key components to church life, but it's not the full package. 
you heard Jesus preach on the, on the kingdom, teach on the kingdom. Oh, that's wonderful. Let me go. No, wait. Wait. Oh, I've seen Jesus ascended. He's coming back. Let's go. No, wait. Wait. There's one more thing that is essential for us apart from those things. Teaching about the kingdom, hearing commissions from Jesus, their togetherness, their fellowship, their praying is all good, but it's still not all that they need. What do they need? They need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what they need. And Jesus doesn't want them to go until they've received all that he has on offer. The fullness of the Holy Spirit. To be amazing and effective in witness and worship as a church, as individuals, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus has said, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When I was 25, nearly 50 years ago, I was in a crusader group now called Urban Saints. And uh, I was one of the leaders. I wasn't the leader. And a leader was a really good friend of mine, very, a man's man. He used to play football with him, all sorts of things. He was down to earth, good sense of humor. Something happened in his Christian walk. And I, at the end of an evening at Crusader Camp in North Yorkshire, by the River Tees, I said to him, what's happened to you, I want to happen to me. Because he'd been a good Christian, but I saw something move in his life, his hope. He was willing to pray for others, even lay hands on them. He, he had a joy and a faith. And he'd been a joyful guy before, but there was something different about him. And what I saw in, in him, and I had been reading other books about the things of the Spirit, uh, Dennis and Rita uh, books, uh, all sorts about baptism of the Holy Spirit, nine o'clock in the morning. So it wasn't out of the blue, but I saw it in him, someone that I respected. And I said to him, what's happened to you? I want to happen to me. And he laid hands on me, and I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I, I was a Christian before that. I tell, honestly, I was. Honestly, I was a Christian before that. But I hadn't received all that was on offer. And I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I spoke in tongues. And uh, I was raised in a Christian home, so I know I was born again, not because of that, but because I'd responded to the gospel. I was familiar, but I thank God for my experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It moved me. And I, I've got a word for people here today. The last weekend, our boiler broke down. Fortunately, the weather was a bit milder, so we survived. So we had a couple of engineers that come in. And I was just thinking about gas boilers. And you know, in gas boilers, many of them, not so many now, they have a pilot light. Yeah. I was like, a, I was a Christian, like with that pilot light. I had the Holy Spirit, but it, it was just a little light. And do you know what needs to happen? You need to have that little pilot light 
ignited into a massive flame. Uh, can I say that for some of you? I'm going to give an opportunity for you to be prayed. Some of you will identify with that, that actually you have something of the Holy Spirit, you've experienced the Holy Spirit, you've been warm, excited, but actually it's now as if it's a, just a little pilot light. And God wants to set you ablaze again. So the people might see, not you performing, not you showing off any gifts, but they may see some of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in your life as you walk in humility and obedience with Jesus Christ. The presence and power of the Holy Spirit makes the difference. God touches them. God's assurance comes to them. His love is poured into their hearts. There are gifts. The church is birthed in the Holy Spirit power. It wasn't birthed in a press conference with a logo and a strap line. There weren't sound bites. It wasn't birthed by a committee. Hallelujah. It was birthed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Something wild. Something that couldn't be worked out. Brothers and sisters, that's what we need. We will never organize ourselves into revival. Go for excellence in all you do, but excellence will never bring you revival. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. You open to God the Holy Spirit coming, touching you, renewing you, igniting you. And that's how the church was birthed. Something promised by Jesus, and it's promised to you as well. The message comes from Joel, and it's echoed through Peter's word. The Holy Spirit can come upon you. Also, it's something that means we are a spirit-filled people. I noticed this, that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Even doubting Thomas, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Even impulsive Peter, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Later on, even Paul, who'd persecuted the church, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Wonderful. No exceptions. Wasn't just the preacher. Wasn't just the worship leader. It wasn't a lottery. Some were winners and some were losers. It wasn't just for the 12. It wasn't just for the men. It wasn't just for the spiritual ones. It wasn't just for the spiritually wacky ones. Everyone. The truth is this. If you have a head, there's a flame of God for it. I say that genuinely. Because sometimes we feel it's for other people. But if you're in that group, all of them received. Hallelujah. God bless them as they respond to him. There were supernatural things happening. It wasn't just nice and loving. They weren't holding hands and singing a nice spiritual song. It was powerful. It was supernatural. They appeared drunk. It was a spirit-filled place as well. Now, we don't necessarily believe in holy places, but the Spirit-filled places, a few chapters later, after they've been threatened to be quiet, they go back, Peter and John report, and the place is shaken that they're meeting in. Wouldn't it be fantastic, not for this to shake necessarily and fall down, but to know the place is filled with God, the Holy Spirit, the spontaneity. Suddenly things were happening. There was superb worship. 
And even though we're served well by musicians, it didn't depend on the musicianship, hallelujah, or the choice of songs. People were filled with the Holy Spirit and ready to worship God. And then it spilt out onto the community from their meeting place out into the marketplace. I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, why live with less than what's on offer? We dare not ignore how the church was birthed. It wasn't birthed in a conference about the kingdom. It wasn't birthed in a conference about social action. Even though those things are amazing, let's do them wholeheartedly. There's lots of other things we can go through that we think are essential. No, what was essential for this church to be birthed was for it to be birthed in the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Nothing less will do. That's what God longs for us as well, that we might be individuals filled with his Spirit. And if you just become a pilot-like Christian with a little bit of the Holy because you can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit being at work, but you need the ignition of the Holy Spirit in your life, then come, ask. You don't have to feel worthy. You just have to be thirsty. You just have to be hungry. You just need to desire it. And that's what happened to me. I said, what's happened to you? My friend Ian Kirby, I said, what's happened to you? I want to happen to me. I had some biblical understanding of it, so I wasn't kind of naive, but I was open to receiving more. More that was on offer. It's what's promised. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Father. Don't be half-hearted. Don't be afraid. Don't be confused. Don't resist. Let's have a happy and optimistic expectation and a faithful confidence. Like Jesus said, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Come to a good Heavenly Father. I mentioned about the pile of light. There's one other thing I feel for this morning. I want to mention people who maybe identify with this. You, your heart has layers on it. You've lost a softness that was once in your heart. And your, the layers are there. And I'm not going to describe them all, but it might mean that you're, you, you lack a kind of a response, a feeling to God's word sometimes. Or even the moving of the Holy Spirit. You, your heart has become a little bit hardened. There's layers on your heart. Maybe you become cynical. And that can happen to us. We kind of think, oh, this is not... Maybe you've disqualified yourself. Maybe that's a layer on your heart where you're kind of now saying, oh, this is not for me. It's for someone else who deserves it. No, it's for you. It's for you. So I've got two particular words as I finish. The great general encouragement is this. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Keep coming and asking. The two words I've got, maybe you're like a pilot-like Christian that needs some ignition. And we're going to have an opportunity for you to respond and to pray for you in a few moments. Or maybe you can identify with the word that says you've got layers on your heart. You've just been a bit hard-hearted or tough in some things, not open. Maybe resistant. I'm not going to condemn anyone, but you just know. And I want you just to spend time before God and the Holy Spirit and let him soften you and heal you 
and take layers off your heart. Let's stand together. Mighty God, you are a great heavenly father. You love us as children. We thank you that you've given to us a savior and you've given to us your spirit. And we come, Lord, not wanting to do church without honoring Jesus, not wanting to do church without being filled with your spirit. We ask that you might come upon us in power pray, Lord, you would renew us, whether people respond or not. Renew each one of us by your Spirit right now. I pray, Lord, we will be thirsty and hungry for more of your touch upon our lives. The Holy Spirit who pours the love of God into our hearts, who gives us an assurance that we're adopted, who empowers us for witness, who gives us gifts, who lets the fruit of Jesus grow in our character wonderful Holy Spirit come amongst us. I pray, Lord, you would ignite people who have just been pilot like Christians. And I pray, Lord, you will heal hearts that have maybe become resistant or hard or even familiar to some of these things, that you would touch people and change them. And I pray this church will move on with good order and good organization and good ministries, hallelujah, and good leadership. But with most of all, it will move on in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.